Is this rain, like, awesome? So one week we had an absolute torrential downpour and the roof is made of like tin, and obviously not very good tin because there's a fat leak right over there. <laughs> uh, but it's made of tin and we had this huge downpour and it literally got so loud in here that even a full band could not overcome it. So if that does happen, we'll just take some time of very loud rain praying and it'll be really fun. Um, but good morning, my name is Josh. For those of you that's your first time, like seriously welcome into this place. This is Resonate. We're a church for people who don't have figured out because we don't either. And uh, for a person that's new here or new to the faith, that's kind of an exciting statement. Like, we don't have it figured out, so no pressure. That's kind of like a cool thing. But actually, for someone who is not uh, a new person, is a little more seasoned, that statement tends to freak people out. Like, wait a minute, you don't have anything figured out? So rest assured, we do have some things figured out. Uh, but we're in a series right now, and if it's your first time, it's a great time to start. Because we're actually in a series where we're going through our DNA. We launched, officially relaunched in October, so we're just a couple months into this new iteration of Resonate, and so in that, we kind of wanted to take some time in the new year to figure out exactly what our statements mean. So the first one is, we're church people don't figure it out, and because we don't either. So that's the first part of this Resonate series in three parts. So the first part is what, we, what it means to not have it figured out. And that's what we're going through in January. So we're actually halfway through that today. And then next month in February, we're going to go through what we know for sure. So for those of you in the room who are like, well, do you know how to figure it out? This is your month. Um, we will be going through uh, the cross, the resurrection, Jesus, just all of the sort of that'll be like a bare bones version of the Christian faith and stuff that we can really uh, wrestle with together through this lens of not having it figured out. And then finally, uh, the last month is going to be no matter who you are. And this is the month I am very excited about. This month is going to take us into the Easter season. And what that means is we're going to actually, we're going to talk about uh, no matter who you are, where you've come from, what your story is, you're welcome in this place. And that's one of our core, core values. And so uh, during this month, we're going to talk about uh, specifically Jesus and how he interacted with people while he was here and that kind of love and acceptance that he showed in his interactions and his excuse me, miracles and his healings and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm just radically excited to get going in this series. We've talked about mystery the first week. Um, last year we talked about like certainty. And uh, to this morning we're going to talk about trust and what it means to trust in God, what it means to trust in general. So we're going to go through like what trust means, that word, what is that phrase, what is that elusive thing. Then we're going to talk about what it means to trust God, so what it, what it is to figure out this elusive thing and then trust an elusive thing, right? And then uh, finally, we're going to talk about how Jesus uh, sends us out and what that means for the church, since we're talking about church. Cool? You with me? All right. Uh, let's pray together as we get going. Lord... I'm so thankful for the rain. It is such a, a cool thing for us Southern Californians uh, to experience, especially on a level like this. And I pray uh, that you just continue to bless us in that way. And I also pray for you know, our commutes today and, and um, wherever we might be going, would you make that safe and, and have uh, people who are outside this space, may that safety be on them as well. Lord, I was really struck uh, when Omid was singing, peace, perfect peace, and then hearing the rain and all that together just made me want to light a pumpkin spice a candle and uh, take a nap. So I'm thankful, and I pray that people would not take a nap during my sermon. Amen. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to start this morning off in a rather odd way. I'm going to talk to you about a character, or a man, rather, named Badger Matt. So stick with me. Badger Matt 
is not a real name, but it's not a fake name either. Badger Matt is actually a username for a Reddit user. Anybody know what Reddit is? Raise your hand if you've heard of Reddit. So if you don't know what Reddit is, Reddit is this site that's called the front page of the internet, and things get upvoted or downvoted, and it kind of creates this algorithm where things can rise to the top that people are most interested in. It sort of gets a, a feel of the entire internet and finds the things that are you know, most gripping. And Badger Matt actually had one of the most viral and biggest articles on Reddit, and he posted it to Reddit, and uh, it was all about this sort of um, feeling of trust. So Badger Matt posts this story. He bought tickets to the sporting event that he could not attend. It's the day before the sporting event. He finds out, bummer, I can't go. I spent a lot of money on these tickets. So I'll go to eBay, and I'll sell these tickets, and then I can get my money back and win-win. So he goes on to eBay, and he puts these tickets up, and an auction starts, and it's, it's a bidding war, and it lasts all day. So finally, in the evening, Badger Matt, we'll just call him Matt from now on. <laughs> Matt uh, makes his sales. So he, it lands at $600. He actually made more off the tickets than he bought them for, which was a huge win in his opinion. So this lady won the auction. He emails the lady. He never names who the lady is, luckily. Emails the lady and says, hey, like, I, I want to arrange like, a pickup and then payment. Um, this was in the early days of eBay when like, even PayPal wasn't around. And so you would actually have to physically give a check. So there's a lot of trust involved in this. And uh, she emails back and said, actually, my husband told me that I overbid for the tickets. Enjoy, the, uh, enjoy the, uh, the game. Sorry, I won't be going. And he's, he's kind of freaking out. And he emails back. And he says, like, no, that's not actually like, the way this works. Like, you won the auction. I won't have time to do another auction before like, this, this game. I'm going to be stuck with these tickets and out, and all because you bid the highest. And she replied, and this is my favorite line of the whole thing, this is eBay, not a car dealership, so I can walk away. Now, neither Badger Matt or myself understand the car dealership thing, but she said car dealership <laughs> nonetheless. So Badger Matt makes some shrewd, albeit maybe sketchy, uh, moves here, and he decides to create a fake eBay account. So Badger Matt, being Badger, very shrewd, creates a fake uh, eBay account, email account, and phone number. You can do all this very easily thanks to Google. So uh, he's got this fake account, this fake person, and he emails the lady and says, hey, I saw that you recently won this auction. I'll pay you $1,000 for those tickets. So the lady's like, mm. and then emails him back and says, I'll only do it if it's $1,100. So we can already tell. This lady's like a little, all right. So $1,100. So, and she goes, and I'll only sell them to you if you drive to my place tonight. This is at 11.45 p.m. And, and pick up the tickets and exchange the money. And so he's like, this lady. So he gets in the car and drives over to this very unpleasant lady's house where uh, he asked for 20 more dollars for the trouble of driving over, really pushing Badger Matt's luck there. But he asked for 20 more dollars. She begins to freak out, of him and, out at him and literally throws 31 $20 bills at him in the car in the pouring rain. They make the exchange, and she drives away. So then she's like, well, actually, OK, so I have to get these tickets to you, right? So this is just like the payment thing. I have to get these tickets to you. And he literally writes back and says, this is not a car dealership. This is eBay. Enjoy the game. So Badger Matt essentially worked the system. This brings us to uh, trust <laughs> and, and how, how hard it is. Like, we want to root for Matt in that scenario, and then actually, like, Matt is kind of being, like, a, a jerk in that scenario, too, but it's sort of a well-deserved jerk thing, so it's like a Robin Hood conundrum. We don't know who to root for in that. Uh, but trust is a really, really tricky thing, and it turns out, as I studied it this week, it's actually a really, really tricky thing to measure. Uh, but luckily, we have places like Harvard and Oxford in the UK who study trust based on this thing they call uh, social capital. 
And so you can read all about this in this book called Bowling Alone. It's by Robert D. Um, Putnam. And it, Bowling Alone is all about how people used to join bowling teams and they used to be very social. And we've, we've kind of etched back in our culture this very singular thing. Like people would rather go bowling alone than they would join a league or like, you know, go play golf alone, that kind of stuff. Uh, and so what they measured though is this, this thing called social capital. And social capital is a fancy way of saying they can measure a nation or an individual's trust based on their social network. Not like Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff, but like their social network in terms of like their Rolodex, who, the number of people on their phone, and the amount that they are interacting with each other. It turns out that they can, they can do this for countries. And in the 1960s, when they originally started measuring this, the, um, the United States had about 70% of a trust rate. So about 70% of people, when they were polled, would say, would you trust a stranger? And about 70% said, yes, I believe that like, people are inherently good. I would trust this person. Now, compare that to right now, in 2017, our numbers are like 30 to 40%. So we have, in 50 years, we have dropped drastically. It's like 30, 40% of trust. Brazil, okay, so we've got 30, 40% here. Uh, Australia, oddly, remains very high at 70%. I just think because they have no problems. So like they're at 70%, uh, but places with big problems like Brazil, where there's crime and corruption, Brazil has the lowest in the entire world, and it's 10%. 10%. And that's because of things like crime and corruption. It turns out that when fear enters the scene, our trust goes out the window. And that's going to lead us to our second topic this morning. So the first thing we're talking about is trust. But as I studied trust, every time I looked up something on trust, vulnerability would be right next to it. I could not avoid this word called vulnerability. So as we talk about trust, we have to talk about being vulnerable uh, with each other. And that means like tearing down this fear. I used to live in this really um, big house in Hollywood, and before you're like, ooh, it was fancy. It was not fancy at all. It was like a barn that was converted into like a three-loft scenario. It was drafty. It, it was a lot like this. <laughs> uh, but I, when I moved here, I moved for school, and so I was in student housing, and then when I got out of school, uh, I began to look. I wanted to stay in the Hollywood area, so I hit Craigslist. Again, we're talking about trust this morning. I hit Craigslist to go and find new roommates because all of my friends had moved away as well, and a space to live, and I had about a week and a half to do so. Smart moves by me. So I go on Craigslist and I find uh, these two guys who are moving into this place in Hollywood. It's right down the street from where I was living. And I like the neighborhood and everything. Uh, and the house was just this unreal thing. So before we lived in it, it was a recording studio. So it came, and I was a musician, so like it came at a perfect time. that We, we literally, when we walked in the door, there was an incredibly like soundproofed room, a glass window, space for a console, and it was all in the bedroom that they were like, you can have that room. I was like, this is crazy. And all for like 600 bucks a month. It was just, it was like mint, right? Uh, but it came with these two guys. These, <laughs> these two guys that I didn't know at all, right? And they're like five years older than I am at this point. And, and they're living a completely different life than I had been living at this point. And so I, they kind of like took me under their wing and they turned out to be really, really genuinely good, awesome people. And I learned a couple things from that. This isn't even the main part of this story, but I learned a couple things out of that. Proximity is often more important than our metrics that we use to judge people. Proximity is often more important than our metrics that we use to judge people. We will know people and begin to trust them when we get closer to people, when we're in the same room with those people, when they are learning their stories, learning where they come from, getting their background, that is the only way that we actually build 
trust. And you think of that in terms of the church and who we are, and we get to come into this space and we get to do small groups, that proximity happens, and as a result, we become a more trusting people and we can learn to trust each other. How much more does that translate in being able to trust God, right? So anyway, one of my roommates who actually ended up being in my wedding, his name was Adam Hodson, and he was this entrepreneurial guy to a T. And I love Adam, he's in my wedding, and he wouldn't mind me saying this, he was also not very good at it. <laughs> so he had four uh, companies in the span of time that I lived in this uh, house. One was a shoe company, one was a watch company, and the most interesting one that he came to me with, he, he came into my room one day and he said, hey, uh, do you wear glasses? I'd lived with Adam for two years at this point, and I was like, do you think I wear glasses? <laughs> uh, <laughs> So he, he, he goes, no, 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 the reason I'm asking is because I have this idea for a glasses company. And he made this website, and he shows me the website, and it was this, this really awesome idea where I was like, this could really change the game on everything. So he's like, normally if you wear glasses, they're going to cost you like $500 or $600 a pair when you go into any of these prescription shops. I have an idea that will get people glasses, cut out the middleman, and you can charge $98 for this pair of glasses. Now, I know what you're all thinking right now if you've heard of Warby Parker. This was not Warby Parker. <laughs> But it was the same exact time that he comes in. It was called Collins Bridge. Anyone heard of Collins Bridge? No. <laughs> so he comes in and he shows me, and I'm like, this is such a good idea. Like, this is going like, to go gangbusters. And I'm like, how are you going to get the idea out there? And he says, well, we have this idea where we're going like, to create uh, this contest. And you can enter this contest, and we're just going to be giving away like, free pairs if you win the contest. So you have to give us your email, and so you'll enter that contest, and we'll give away like five pairs of, of glasses, but we'll get like thousands of these emails, and then we'll get them with the email, right? And I was like, well, I guess that's a pretty like shrewd business model, awesome. Um, but Orby Parker is now worth 1.2 billion dollars, and Adam's company never made it off of his laptop. And I've, I've struggled with why. Why was that? Well, Warby Parker had one like. One thing that set, us, set itself apart, it actually set itself apart in the entire business world. Stuff had been written on them. They changed the game when it comes to just not eyewear, but a business practice. And what that was, was they took their glasses and they said, like, we're going to give you like four pairs of these glasses. We're going to mail them into your home so that you can try them on, physically touch one, keep the ones you like or the one you like, and send it back. Right? So in Adam's model, he says, you give me something, and then you can win something. Warby Parker is saying, we're going to give you something, and if you see it, you trust it, you like it, then you can hold on to it. And then we, essentially, that's a good business practice, because now you trust us, and you're buying something that you know is good. And what Warby Parker has, has like touched on here is something that is so essential for our relationships, and it's scary that the business world is figuring this out before we are. And what it is, is when we are vulnerable, when we put ourselves out there and show our cards, show exactly who we are, people begin to trust us, and we can get to know them in a totally, totally different way. My wife and I use Blue Apron sometimes. Why do we do that? They gave us free food. <laughs> they literally said, the first one's on us. And I was like, well, let's get the first one and cheat this system. And then they totally got us. M mostly because I'm not very good at this stuff. But they got us, right? <laughs> so we use because they gave us food. We were all taught in this room by our parents, do not talk to strangers. And yet now we will pull out our phones and we will call a complete stranger and his car will roll up and we will get into it. And it's called Uber. <laughs> Something is happening in our world. Why is there this trust me revolution? And the answer, when we really look at it, is that these businesses have clued into something that we relationally really, really need to clue into, and that is when we are vulnerable, trust is earned. That is the only way 
that trust is earned. It's when we are willing to say, here's all of who I am, my brokenness, the bad stuff, the good stuff. Here I am completely. You can trust me. Right? Think of all the relationships uh, that you've ever had. I mean, if you think of the, the closest ones you have, your relationship to the sum total of the vulnerable conversations and interactions you've had with that person. When you're vulnerable with someone, that, that escalates that friendship, that relationship, like, exponentially. And yet, why don't we do that? The truth is it's very, very, very scary. There's a fear to it, right? If I put, my, oh, I put all myself out there, like, I could totally get shut down, and what's that going to feel like? And the truth is, like, we have to do that in order to grow close to each other. And more importantly, for this space and in this church setting, we have to do that with God for us to grow closer in that relationship. We have to put all of us out there because he does the exact same thing for us. When we look at the person of Jesus and the time that he was here, he exhibits all of the things that we are scared to share with other people. There's, there's fear. There's empathy. There's weeping. There's healing. There's going and putting someone else before himself. Everything that we are scared of to share relationally is found in this person of Jesus. And so if we can clue into that and go, look what Jesus was doing, it can shift our entire relationship with not just each other, but the entire world. And that's what Jesus knew. So I want to talk about how, well, last week we talked about the disciples and how he called his disciples. So he rolled up to the boat and said, you guys are with me. And they're like, here we go. There was much more to it, but uh, listen to the podcast from last week. Um, this week I want to talk about once they're there, how he sends them out. This is really important. Uh, so this comes out of Luke 9. Um, let me see if I got that scripture rolled up here. Okay, this is Luke 9, 1 through 6. The words should be back behind me. It says, Jesus called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons uh, and to heal sicknesses. He sent them out to proclaim God's kingdom and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey, no walking stick, no bag, no bread, no money, not even an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, remain there until you leave that place. Wherever they don't welcome you, as you leave that city, shake the dust off of your feet as a witness against them. They departed and went through the villages, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So let's do a little flashback here because the context is really, really important. This is Luke chapter 9, and there are 24 chapters in Luke, and Jesus is already sending them out, right? That's pretty, talk about like people who don't have figured out. He's like kicking them out the door going like, and here's what you're going to do. And he mentions like five. Well, first let me do some context about these villages. So the places that he would send the disciples to where he was like, go into these homes, these people. If you get into that ancient culture and you study what those homes would look like, it was very likely a multi-generational home. So grandparents would be living with parents, would be living with kids. So you got this its own little like micro community going on, this own family vibe, its own culture, right? And there's this thing uh, in the ancient scriptures, and they refer to it as desert hospitality. So desert hospitality would be if I was traveling and I was like this nomad or whatever, wherever I'm going, and I stumbled into your home, hospitality was an enormous thing in their culture. So they would say, like, come in, eat our food, unless they were like, no, you just like completely can't. And that was like considered just like the most rude and awful thing to do. So what Jesus is calling them to do is to go and find these homes, these places, and be a guest in their home. Be a guest in their home. And he sends them out with five uh, critical things. He says, take literally nothing with you. 
So he strips them of all their belongings, not even a staff, which is kind of significant because even Moses took a staff. <laughs> right? So he's like, take nothing with you. You're going in bare bones. Uh, find a home that will, that will take you in. Number three, uh, bring good news to that place. So don't, I mean, you're bringing good news into that place. Number four, heal people. And number five, and this is the most important for the evangelical church today, if they don't like you, walk away. <laughs> in church, how often is it like we're badgering people to tell them about our faith? And what Jesus is calling to them is saying, no, 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 if, if this is not for them right now, then just simply go, thank you. And then, you know, he adds a little like, shake the dust off your feet, which is a little cool move. But he's saying like, don't, don't, don't badger these people. You're trying to enter their home. They're, they're going to offer you hospitality. So if they're not willing to do that, then don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. So the most important thing that I want to call here is, is Jesus is putting his disciples in the most vulnerable position possible. He is saying to them, like, as you go out and you share this good news, this kingdom that I'm coming to proclaim, you're going to have to do that in the most lowly of ways. You have to do this in the most vulnerable of ways. You have to enter that home and say, hey, Here's who I'm following. Here's what I want to tell you about. And I'm going to stay with you for a while if you don't mind. And if you'll take me in, I will work with you and earn my keep. So they've been working with them during the day, like absolutely like, like cleaning things, doing the farm work, doing whatever work it was that they were doing. They would carry alongside them. And in that context, they would share Christ. They would share the good news of this kingdom and they would heal people and they would bring good news. But it was only as a guest that they would do that. It was only as a guest. It was never as the mighty host, right? So this morning I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about church and trust because that's something, those two together is usually kind of a powder keg of a situation, like church and trust. And in this space and in the, the DNA of resident is this inherent thing that a lot of you in this space may have been burned by the church at a certain point. Right? The church may have let you down. Uh, and on Friday, as I was writing this part of the message, I started writing out. I was like, well, I'll just write this list of like, all the ways the church has blown it. And then it got super dark and depressing. And I realized it was raining outside, and I was just letting my uh, darkness take me over. And I was like, pull back, pull back. So I want to focus on all the stuff, that, the good that the church has done. Guys, in this community, in this space, in this church, in church, capital C, we are called to literally be the light of the world. And it's the only place that we can do that together intentionally. It's community, being in the same space and moving together we can never accomplish alone. That is the church. That's the beauty of this place. But my biggest fear for the church in general, and it's already happening, if you read polls and Gallup polls and, and Pew results, like people are walking away from the Christian church like never before. And I think one of the biggest reasons for this is because there are churches, hundreds of churches around the U.S. and the world that are sitting on literally millions of dollars worth of property. Some of them alone are sitting on millions of dollars worth of property, but they are playing the host and not the guest. They will die out because they are refusing to go out and be the guest and not the powerful host, the vulnerable guest and not the powerful host. Right? We live in a world where the, the common view of church is they'll send out mailers and they'll send out like door hangers and, and they'll bring you in and there will be fancy slides and, and a huge, huge uh, band and a rock star preacher. <clears throat> and uh, just 
all of that stuff that we're expecting people to come to us. Like, we're going to play the host and we're going to take care of you. But the actual call that Jesus gives us to share the kingdom of God is not host, it's guest. It's leaving these walls and saying, what is God doing in the community that we can jump into? What's God already involved in outside that we can get involved in? And if we can do that together, what a difference we can make. So I think the reason that's not happening is it comes back to that fear, because that's new, that's different, that's scary. For a church to do that, like there's budgets to be had, there's, there's, you know, there's responsibilities that we've got to take care of, and we're going to do that. But the real thing is fear can hold us back. And to that fear, I want to speak one of my favorite scriptures with you guys that really hit me uh, this week. This is out of 1 John. Or is it? Now it's out of 1 John. Because there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. There is no room for our embarrassment or to be looked down upon in the presence or act of real love. If we truly live in God's love, then we can be the most confident in our vulnerability because we can trust God in it. And I am so tired of Christianity that refuses to love because of fear. I'm even more tired of church that refuses to love because of fear. When we let fear into these doors, then what Jesus did on the cross, we're just not doing that justice. So I want to call us this morning as a community that is growing, and it's, it's, it's amazing to see what God is doing in this space. Like, I want to call us to be a different presence in this community. We need more churches that are going to look like guests than hosts. So I want to invite you on this journey with it. It's going to be a journey. Remember, we don't have it all figured out. <laughs> I'm throwing this stuff out here, and I might get comment cards that are like, you are crazy. <laughs> but I think that's, that's awesome, right? If we can journey into this and find out, like, what, what can we be doing to serve 18th Street, Crossroads School, Santa Monica, West LA, Los Angeles, California, United States, all together. If we can make this a movement, then real stuff could really happen. And so I'm excited to see what's going to move forward. But we can't let fear block us from trust. And we really, really have to trust God in all of this as we move. Uh, and as part of trusting God this morning, I want to call us to the communion table. And so uh, this is how we do this here. We're going to come row by row, just kind of as you come. So as you see the first row uh, come down and then finish, the second row can come and so on and third. Uh, and you can literally just uh, dip these awesome, highly carborific uh, things of challah into here. We have glutinos for the gluten-free in the crowd. Uh, dip that into the wine and remember what Christ has done for us and what he is doing currently. Uh, and then more importantly, if you have um, community cards on your seats, those are like your way of, of engaging uh, so sort of a first step of communication with us. So uh, if you'd like to find out more about Resonate, uh, fill out your information, pop that in here. And also, that's our real space for prayer, and we seriously take those very, very seriously. So if you have a prayer request or any comment or anything, write that on there, fold it up, pop it in here. This is also our space to be generous. So we believe that generosity belongs to this table. I believe the community belongs at this table. And so uh, if you have tithes or offerings or gifts, you can drop them in here. And this is your sort of home base uh, for all that stuff. Yeah, let me, let me pray for us. I'm, I'm so excited. Let's pray. God, what an awesome rainy Sunday you've given us. And what an awesome thing that we get to sort of rely on trust. And so very practically, I pray that we could walk out of this space having conversations with our friends, our loved ones, our community, 
that put us in a more vulnerable position. Let's say, here's all that I am, and I know that I've never shared this with you, but here you go, and see where that takes that relationship. And God, we know that you're going to work in that. And so for this space, I pray uh, goodness and blessings and that we would leave this space slowly, get to know each other, and then just have an awesome, awesome week and bring us back here next week. Amen. So the first row wants to come up, you can.